2: Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. If you've not been following the news, we've had um, the CEOs of Apple, Google, Facebook and Amazon testify to the American Congress uh, about uh, an inquiry on antitrust. And uh, frankly, it's just been amazing to see this inquiry develop. I've been tracking it for a few weeks now. It's been on my column. And, um, and it's just, I, I predicted last week that this was going to be an exercise in cross And to some extent, that was it. But a bunch of other things happened as well. And to discuss all of that, I have with me uh, a particular expert on competition, uh, Anupam Anubhav. Say hi, Anupam. <laughs> Hello there. Uh, so, Anupam, could you please lay the context a little bit here? Uh, what, how was the hearing? How did it go? And what was this about?
0: Firstly, I think uh, so. There's obviously a lot of negative. Uh, comments about the entire hearing there's a lot of criticism that nothing ultimately was achieved and uh, it was of course chaotic that all four CEOs were testified at the same time which meant that you couldn't really go deep into any one of the topics or you couldn't hold anyone really accountable there was also you know criticism against uh, a lot of cross-talking as you rightly mentioned Uh, and each time when uh, you know I think there were more questions thrown at the Uh, CEOs, then uh, answers that would come out of them. And even when in the rare occasion that they wanted to answer, I think they were not allowed to answer because someone else wanted to steal the limelight and throw another question at them. But having said all of that, I'm still extremely happy that this is happening in its own sense. Um, I I might not like the kind of hostile environment, of course, but um, the fact that Ultimately, these are, you know, CEOs of four of the probably biggest companies in the world. And they had an aura of uh, inevitability and in invincibility rather uh, about them, you know, that they couldn't be touched and they couldn't, you know, they were outside of the, they, they were like superheroes, right? They were tech superheroes. So, um, but to hold them at least accountable to start asking these questions, I think is an important uh, phenomena, And I think we've started on, on some path. I mean, we as in the US Congress has started on some path. And it, it'll be interesting to see what develops I mean, of course, this can't be a one-off event. Uh, this, You know, we have to see how these things develop, whether you're really serious about asking those questions or uh, is it that, you know, you already just want to show um, that you're doing something or is it that, uh, you already have, you know, a solution that uh, you already have, and you want to in- enforce. And this was just a fast hearing, so we don't know any of those things, but we have to wait and watch. Uh, but I think it's an interesting development. Just to, you know, as a as a blanket statement, I think it's a, a interesting statement.
2: Uh, yeah, and when you mentioned that, you know, we had all these four people testifying together, I, I thought that was a bit of a bit of a bad move. I don't know um, what complications went into this. Maybe they only agreed to testify if everyone else was also testified. <laughs> but here, because the companies have such different business models, right? I mean, it's just, these are huge, complex businesses that are fundamentally different from each other. So, covering all of that in six hours and all of them have some element of, you know, how big is to bake into them. So at this point, having all four of them testify, I, I thought that was not the best decision, but maybe it was inevitable.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we can discuss the logistics of it, which is that, you know, could you have done it on different days? Could you have done it uh, sequentially? Uh, how could you have done it better, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think that is secondary. Um... Now, I I know that, you know, one of the things that has again been levied against this entire hearing was that, you know, these are four extremely different companies. I mean, one is, um, let's just look at it, right? Facebook is essentially a uh, social media site. Amazon is an e-commerce platform. You've got uh, Google, which is a search engine, and then Apple, which... Basically, you know, apart from, of course, uh, manufacturing your MacBook Airs and uh, MacBooks and, you know, iPads and iPods and whatnot uh, and iPhones, of course, but also runs the, uh, the, the, you know, iStore and that is the important kind of aspect here. Now, yes, they're seemingly extremely different kind of businesses uh, selling and, and producing very different kinds of products and services, but they do have an element of commonality amongst them, And, I, and this is the first thing that I want to you know, speak about, which is that all of them are platforms. Okay. Uh, And they're, they actually all follow the platform business model. And if we talk about platforms and what they are, it's essentially that they are intermediaries between two disparate set of users. And what they do is they bring these two disparate set of users together and create value for them, which they probably couldn't have done without the use of the platform. So you can take, I mean. Uh, a seller on Amazon and a buyer on Amazon. So it could be, I mean, think about even the Indian example for just to take it up. Um, you could have a small vendor in Uttar Pradesh who's uh, selling a, a laptop and you could have a consumer in Bangalore. Now there's no way that the two could have normally met, right? And, and that wouldn't have happened. The transaction wouldn't have happened. But Amazon acts as that intermediary between those two and connects them and they, you know, the, the seller in um, UP could be the lowest uh, priced seller, right? And offers amazing, uh, let's say, customer satisfaction and um, customer service. Now, Amazon essentially connects these two disparate set of users and gives value to both of them, right? So similarly, you can think of, you know, Facebook connecting different set of users, Google connecting essentially websites and users and so on and so forth. So they're all platforms, right? So that's the underlying kind of the business structure there. Though they might be selling different goods and services, they are actually all following the platform business model. And I think that is very important to remember because that comes with it, a whole set of, you know, set of complications, set of um, different economics, uh, you know, uh, principles attached to it. And, and, you know, we can discuss very briefly about what uh, the economics of the platform is and how is it different from a normal uh, market structure, but I think that would be uh, slightly di- digressing from the
2: main point. Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting that you mentioned vertical integration in this context, because I, I think that applies to all of these platforms to some extent, maybe maybe not for Facebook, uh, but in, in general, it, there is some element of vertical integration taken into all of these. And what was funny to me uh, was that every time Cong- someone from Congress asked these guys about vertical integration, how they've been preferring their products over the others. They basically said, they have a policy not to do that, but uh, there's every chance that policy has been violated and they're looking into it. So <laughs> it, it was essentially just a, a, a showcase of how little these CEOs know about their companies or their potential. So, yeah, I imagine if this same thing was, was actually a shareholder call, their stores would have been completely different. Imagine them going to the shareholders and saying, that, well, look, we're we not as dominant as you think we are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was so funny.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and just for the benefit of the you know uh, of our listeners, I think we should just very briefly you know tell what vertical integration is. Essentially, actually, if you looked at all of the questions that were thrown at uh, the the CEOs, mainly it had to deal with this one aspect of platform economics, which is uh, called vertical integration. So, what does that mean? Let's take an example again. Uh, you have Amazon, which is a platform, right? It basically on this platform, you have uh, sellers who come onto the platform and sell. You have buyers who come onto the platform and buy. And uh, so that's, that's what the platform does. Now, Where the complication, I think, sets in is that Amazon is also a seller on its own platform. So uh, in the US and in Europe and so on, it's called Amazon Basics. In India, because we have a rule against that, initially had even, so they took a different you know, root route for it, they called it Cloudtail. Um, similarly for Flipkart, for example, you you know, they were also vertically integrated. That is the platform acting as a player as well on the platform, right? So uh, Flipkart, for example, is the platform, you know, again, buyers and sellers are on the platform, but it also had this thing called WS Retail, which Flipkart owned and, and it would sell on that same platform. So now try and imagine that if you have this kind of vertical integration set up, uh, what would be the incentives at play so you if you're Amazon and you know you have um, your own one of your subsidiaries acting as a seller on your platform, will you have an incentive to favor it or not? Will you have a conflict of interest and I think that is the key issue there and and, and the nature of the you know the structure of um, these platforms are as such that you are continuously that you as in the, these companies are continuously incentivized to favors their own, you know, their own sellers and their own subsidiaries or their own products as against someone else who's a third party, right? So if I was Amazon, uh, the platform, and I had Amazon, which is the seller selling, uh, let's say a book, right? And the same book is also being sold by Satan sons. Okay. And so that's right. (laughs) Yeah. So who, as, as Amazon, the, the platform, who would you favor, right? Uh, you're always incentivized to favor your own. Uh, if two people are selling the same products, that's just the starting point of the problems, right? Uh, when you have vertical integration, essentially, there is every scope that this thing called platform neutrality will be violated. So platform neutrality essentially means that the platform doesn't take sides, right? The platform actually just provides an even playing field for all of the buyers and all of the sellers. It doesn't take sides and basically the best product uh, and here, best would mean, you know, highest quality, lowest price, best customer satisfaction, etc, whatever that is. The best product actually just wins on its own. And, And that's supposed to be the pure competition aspect of it, right? That's what everyone wants. However, because you have this thing called vertical integration, where, again, the the platform acts as a seller on its own uh, side, there is every single option and opportunity for that platform neutrality to be violated. There is all kinds of incentives to favor your own things. And this has happened throughout. Um, We know, for example, there are multiple instances when Google, uh, and and, you you can take the simple example, Um, Google has, for example, Google Flights, Okay. And, uh, there's also, let's say make my trip, which also offers flight options. So if I search, um, cheap flights from Bangalore to Lucknow and, uh, or Kanpur, where are you, uh, Rohan Kanpur, is it? Yeah, Kanpur. Yeah, Kanpur. So if I search for a flight, Bangalore to Kanpur and, uh, Google has Google flights and there is, you know, competition as well, um, Google will always provide its own sellers first. Uh, I mean, its own product first, and then push everything else to the second pages and so on. And then there's been at least, you know, three big antitrust cases in Europe uh, against Google leads with over $1 billion fines. Uh, There's been multiple investigations in US itself on this, you know, violation of platform neutrality and so on. So we can go into each one of these sellers. and, And I think we should just talk about a little bit about how this platform neutrality is violated. But this is the essential basic idea, Right.
2: Yeah, I, I'm also glad that you brought up this platform neutrality aspect because this also is a very good segue into the other bit of um, what this hearing was about. Because to put some context, Apple came onto this hearing with a little bit of a chip on its shoulder because it had a very public pitch with a developer called Basecamp. No one's saying that the App Store is a neutral, neutral place to be. Uh, I think anyone from Spotify will tell you that it's not. Yeah, but sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, before this hearing, uh, you had this very public pitch. And, and that, that was because, as an app store, Apple charges around 30% of a cut to people who want to sell stuff on their, on their store. And, uh, and Basecamp uh, essentially just refused to pay that. And Apple then said that, well, because you are not willing to pay this, you will not be allowed to post any updates to your app, which essentially got sorted out because it was so public, Apple had to uh, acting back down. But um, right before the hearing, Apple released a report that I covered in my column. And, and the idea was, shit. The report kept saying, okay, that all of these charges that we do, well, it's to justify the cost of the app store. Fair enough, the app store does a bunch of things, it has a search function and stuff like that. It makes sure that the users get the best possible experience. Sure. And then this, then they went on to say that um, other platforms also charge the same thing. And they're looking at the Microsoft store and the Samsung Bixby store. I don't know who's going the Samsung B- Bixby store, but like, <laughs> they, they had this. And, and, and that sort of just, Felt like to me they were not addressing the problem because let's say if the fee was let's like say twenty percent, I think the problem would have still persisted. Because if the fee was five percent, the problem would have still persisted. Because the problem is not the rate of the fee; it's just that like there is no possible way to avoid the thirty percent fee itself. The App Store as a platform is so dominant that if you're a developer who wants to reach out to people who have iPhones, which I imagine is a huge segment of the population, it's also a richer segment of the population that is more willing to pay for apps. There is no way you can let go of this toll booth, right? That there's no way you can say that this is a market I don't want to enter. And that's essentially what the report wasn't addressing. And also when they said that the other platforms also charge 30%, can I just say that the app store was arguably the first of its kind and they probably got their 30% idea from the app store itself? <laughs> <laughs> this is just a bit nuts to me. So do you want to comment on this, As in Yeah, you see, you're right, but there's two
0: different aspects at play here. Now, um, app store charging a commission uh, is is kind of understandable. They're still providing a service, and therefore they will charge a commission. Okay, I I think we can discuss the numbers and so on. But I think that is, uh, you know, there's no obligation for the app store to provide anything for free. I mean, um, Facebook, you know, charges a fee for ads. Essentially that, uh, th- that's the same kind of thing, right? Google also charges for ads. You know, you have different kinds of platforms which will charge for that service that it provides uh, because none of these people, by the way, charge the consumers directly, right? I mean, the app is free, then the, the app store doesn't charge the consumers for it. It has to make its money from somewhere and therefore it charges. Yeah. I think that is, is the lesser of the two problems, but I think what is really interesting or what I think really um, complicates the issue is that Apple itself produces a bunch of apps. That's where the vertical integration and platform neutrality comes into play. Apple itself produces at least, let's say, about 60 or 70 apps, okay? From, of course, music, from uh, mail to pretty much every other uh, you know app that you can think of, so about 60 to 70 in, in pretty much every big domain that there is. Now, these apps obviously are don't have to pay that 30% commission that everyone else has to pay. Therefore, just in the beginning itself, they have got a massive kind of advantage, right? It's no longer a level playing field. They've, you've already tilted the scales towards your own particular uh, products. Now, that's only one aspect of it. Second, how do you promote these different apps? Now, for example, in the App Store, you can always promote um, your Apple apps right in the beginning. So if you search, for example, I just go to the App Store and I type in music app, right? I, I can take a bet that Apple Music will come up first before Spotify will, right? And, and I think so that is the next way. And, and if you're not really particular, if you don't really know the difference between the two, if you don't have very strong preferences about which one is a better uh, music player etc the chances are you'll go for the first one and this is what Google does I mean all Google has to do to completely eliminate all its competition is to push the search results of its competitors to the second page right in fact you can bury complete dead bones and bodies on the second page of Google app uh, on Google search and no one will find it right that's the power of the search engine. So similarly, I think in the app store, that's what it does. Amazon does this. Amazon, since Amazon controls the platform itself, it will, uh, you know, the, the buy box, which is that essential, you know, the, the biggest, re, you know, real estate in, on the e-commerce website, always you'll find Amazon's own products. And uh, so it does a bunch of really, <laughs> you know naughty stuff uh, both amazon yeah. app and google all of these uh, all of these players and so that's the second bit third i think and and this again we can go back to history is that because Spotify was such a big challenger to Apple Music, and when Apple Music was just kind of launched and they wanted to really make it big, they deliberately charged Spotify a much higher commission fee than it did for others, right? So it, it you know it can just suddenly tilt the scales in whichever direction it wants because it's a platform and it's a gatekeeper. So this gatekeeper function is essential. Is, it's very important, right? And we've seen, I mean, the, it's not just, uh, these are the four big ones, of course, but you can see this, how this gatekeeper functions with booking.com. Or you can think about, you know, even in the Indian context, by the way, there is a competition commission inquiry about exactly the same thing, which is about, uh, you know, make my trip and Oyo, etc. And both of them are under uh, investigation by the competition commission of India. So I think these are very essential things that you got to talk about and, and think about, you know, that platform neutrality aspect again. So this is just, you know, again, one part of it that is the platform favoring its own product over others and thereby you know, ruining uh, the others' chances of competing fairly in that marketplace. But there's one other thing that, you know, Amazon especially is uh, guilty of. And this is that it uses, and this is the main uh, kind of uh, allegation against Amazon is that Amazon uses, the controversial, you know, it's extremely controversial, but it uses the data from third party sellers on its own platforms to inform the development and promotion of its own products, right? So what it does is essentially, it it lets the platform essentially, you know, is a lab, right? Uh, So there are multiple third party sellers, you all you do is just keep collecting data. And this is by the way, illegal, because they actually, you know, as you correctly mentioned, they have a policy against this, but of course, it's, Uh, it's observed more in the breach. So they essentially collect data from all of its sellers. You see which kind of sellers are doing well. What are its promotion policies? What kind of products are doing well? How, what is the price points at which people are buying? What is the general trends and et cetera, et cetera, you know, trends and preferences of the consumers and so on. And then basically Amazon Basics, which is just its own subsidiary, will produce those same products, probably at a lower price and then promote it on its platform, right? And Amazon has been doing this for multiple times and multiple studies which have shown this. And, and, you know, the funny thing, as you correctly mentioned, Rohan, um, is that uh, when Bezos was asked this question, uh, he did highlight that, you know, there there is a company's policy banning this particular practice, but actually said, and I quote, uh, I can't guarantee you that this policy has never been violated. (laughs) So, you know, that is really funny as you correctly said it's the CEO who's saying that yeah we have a policy but we can you know never be sure that uh, it's being followed and that basically amounts to you know not <laughs> right
2: yeah. the interesting thing also to me uh, was there. so basically they tell the guy that this is the instance where we've seen that this policy has not been followed so you know, he's acknowledged that the policy has been followed they give him an example of where the policy hasn't been followed it's a, it's a really sad story of a bookseller who's doing really well and then Amazon decides to basically change the market share, whatever. And um, and and basically says, well, this this should not have happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says that we'll we'll try to correct this, and which basically amounts to okay, we'll try to do something about it. Uh, this means no large scale change, uh, and generally this is against whatever we stand for. Which to me just it just feels like the wrong thing to say because there's no potential solution being discussed here, apart from the fact that this one bookseller. Might you know be reimbursed or whatever damage Amazon did to them? Because surely millions of such instances exist, uh, or at least thousands. I don't have an exact number on this because as I don't have Amazon's data. But no solution was talked about here. Instead, it just became very apparent that this is a problem, and the guys basically admitted that. And to me, that was very damning. I I think that this is going to be a major play going forward, especially for Amazon.
0: Yeah, you you, see, you're absolutely right on that. I think this is, there's no way to fix this apart from actually fixing the entire um, incentive structures at play. And, you know, how do you ensure platform neutrality? You can't take one case as you said and say, okay, we're going to reimburse. That's not going to solve anything. Uh, But you have to go back, you know, in time to even the Microsoft solution, for example, right? When you're talking about structural solutions, you need structural solutions. So the Microsoft case, which was the first case such, you know, case of vertical integration and uh, violation of platform neutrality in 1998, uh, spoke exactly about this this particular thing where Microsoft was um, seen to unfairly favor uh, Internet Explorer over, let's say, Netscape and Opera and whatever other um, browsers that were... Um, in in Vogue at that point of time, and uh, they were found guilty. And uh, they essentially, you know, the the structural solution back then was that Microsoft decided to, you know, form this particular committee with of experts, uh, which both of them agreed, etc. And and they basically, you know, they they, uh, showed their proprietary code, and, uh, and, you know, they agreed to reveal their proprietary code, and ensure that this, uh, you know, the, the platform neutrality was not going to be violated in the future. So they agreed, you know, it was more of self-regulation as such. And the, the biggest kind of threat that they had was that, you know, these guys were actually going to look at the code. So, and and then, you know, if they found anything to be, again, violating those principles, then they would be taken uh, into much higher kind of thing. So what the, the solution back then was that they didn't put a fine, they didn't, you know, try to break it up immediately. But what they tried to do was saying that, it's in your own interest to actually follow these bunch of things and Microsoft agreed. And I think that was a very good solution. So that's one of the solutions. Um, that we have to speak about. But I think there's there's multiple other solutions that we have to discuss as well, right? And, and these are, you know, again, structural solutions. You can't take one particular aspect or one example and say we're going to fix that one because as long as the, the incentives for the platforms are the same, then they're always going to, as I said, favor their own product over others, over their competitors. So what are the other things they can do? Um, one is, you know, there's is, this is a very simple kind of non-discrimination clause which you can put in law and say that, you know, as legally you cannot discriminate one seller against the other. Now, I know this is probably simplistic. You're, uh, again, ensuring or hoping for a lot of uh, state capacity to uh, detect platform neutrality, and they're not able to do that really, uh, and then follow through on whatever the legal means are. But it's just, I'm saying, one of the solutions, again, um, that you can do. The second thing, and I think with platforms, this becomes increasingly important, is that, you know, when you talk about this... um, consumer welfare standard, which is the prevalent kind of standard for competition. That is that business will only be investigated by the relevant authority if it does harm to consumers. Right. So uh, dominance by itself is not wrong, but abuse of dominance is wrong. And how do you prove that abuse of dominance? It is when consumers are harmed. Now, Facebook, Amazon, uh, uh, Flipkart or Google, etc., will all say that how am I harming the consumers? I'm actually giving them all of my products free. Facebook is free, Google search is free. Amazon, by the way, you just pay for the product. You don't, you know, as a consumer, you don't pay to Amazon directly, uh, you know, for that search function, etc. Uh, App Store, you don't pay anything, uh, etc., right? So all of them will say that, you know, we are providing a service for free and therefore we're not really harming consumers at all, right? So then that is why Prima facie, by the way, in India, you cannot launch an investigation against some of these companies, right? So one simple solution here is to actually look at both sides of the platforms as consumers. Right now, if you're a seller on Amazon, then you're actually a consumer of Amazon. Right, you're actually buying a service from Amazon, which is the listing service. Right, you want to be listed on the platform, so you're actually nothing but a consumer as well. Now, you might be selling to the buyer directly uh, or through the platform, but you are actually a consumer of um, Amazon. So, then if you just broaden this particular Uh, scope of what you call as consumers, then I think, and you apply the same principles of consumer welfare, that by itself can solve a lot of the problem, right? So that's the second solution uh, to really think about this. And by the way, these are not mutually exclusive, some of them can be overlapping, etc. But the other kind of solution is to think about, you know, uh, business arbitrator here, by the way, you know, the big question is about competition, right? How uh, competitors on some of these platforms get harmed, it could be you know the sellers on amazon or it could be the uh, app makers on app uh, store etc so the other one is, if you want to still treat them as, you know, businesses as against treating them as consumers, then like you have a consumer court, why not have a business arbitrator, for example, right? So you can have a, a specialized kind of court system uh, and, and, you know, you can think about different countries will have different kinds of solutions. It can be housed within the competition commission, for example. and And then, you know, you can basically arbitrate between two businesses who are having trouble. So a seller can basically go to this one of these business arbitrators and say that, listen, uh, I'm getting hurt because of Amazon, right? Because Amazon is uh, violating platform neutrality. So there are different conditions that you can, you know, you can look into that, you know, they can basically prove that I'm offering a very similar service as Amazon basics, for example, uh, at the same kind of price range. And, uh, despite that, or probably at a lower price, uh, but despite that I'm getting, you know, uh, pushed to the second page of the search results or I'm not getting due, uh, this thing on the platform, right? So you can prove that and and then you can uh, take uh, action against the particular thing. So these are, you know, some ways that you can think about structural, again, these are just you know, random kind of uh, solutions and we can definitely refine them and make them better. But this is the idea that there are solutions out there uh, which are workable, which can actually solve a large part of the problem and and crucially, without really hurting or um, destroying the kind of welfare and and the kind of consumer surplus that some of these uh, uh, platforms give us, right? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. All said and done, Facebook is... Uh, beneficial to consumers. Google is, of course, massively. Uh, Google and all of its properties uh, are massively beneficial to consumers. So are, so is Amazon and so is, um, you know, other kind of business. These big tech, as we call them. So breaking up big tech is not really the solution. I mean, in fact, that when you try and break up big tech, A, it is completely impossible to do so, by the way. I mean, it, it just cannot be done. And two, even if you try to do it, you will end up destroying both the business and destroying all of the consumer surplus there. So that is like, uh, you know, literally uh, taking a hammer to a very nuanced surgery, right? Uh, you can't do it that way. You need more nuanced tools. You need sophisticated tools. You need a scalpel instead of, you know, a hammer, right? So that that's the kind of um, idea here.
2: All right. I think um, that's very informative. One thing I wanted to add here is also that... Um, there is a lot of great, great research on this topic, and someone that I've been following recently and would like to recommend to our listeners is uh, Professor Timbu. He's a columnist at the uh, New York Times and also as a, uh, as a professor at Columbia University, if I'm not wrong. And he's written a great book about this. Um, it's called um, "It's Called the Master Switch," and there's another one uh, that's called "The Curse of Bigness." And the Master Switch he basically talks about how AT and T avoided um, antitrust. For but tens of years which was by just working with the regulators and that's something that um, he, he predicts uh, in a podcast recently that Facebook might also end up doing so a lot of ways this thing can go as Anupam has explained so uh, I, I think uh, this makes for a lot of great reading thank you so much Anupam for joining in for contributing to this and um, I will link uh, our Twitter handles as well as the, um, the books in the show notes so yeah have a nice day thank you for listening to All Things Policy thank you so much
1: Check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila I-N-S-T, or our website takshashila.org.in
3: Hey, hey, it's been another great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On all things policy, Ananya Desai and Rohan Pai discuss recurrent bans on fireworks during festive seasons in India and discuss possible solutions to tackle India's air pollution problem. On the Habit Coach Podcast, Ashton Dr. welcomes Sahil Mehta, an esteemed mountaineer and author of the book Break Free. Sahil shares a transformative experience which became the catalyst for embracing discipline and fulfillment. The episode explores the profound impact of vulnerability on personal growth. Folks, if you like our shows, do spread the word, tell your friends and don't forget to rate and review them wherever you're listening to them. Follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You'll also find all our shows on YouTube at youtube.com slash IVM Podcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Omidyar Network India, Abbott, IDFC First Bank, and Save Life Foundation. Thank you for making this possible.